Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Oh, can I just say how much I love doing podcasts? I love, there's so much about parenting. There's so much about life that you can't, you can't get in like one succinct thing. So I just love the ability to keep adding on to episodes or you guys have questions and I get to clarify or something's muddy in my own head and I get to kind of hash it out with you guys. It's really cool. I know sometimes it's funny to me, I'll get somebody complaining about potty training, you know, like in an email or a DM and they'll be like, you forgot to write about this. And I'm like, dude, I can't write everything in one book. And it's so funny, like, to think that somebody would like in this day and age, read a book and not like look for other things the author has to offer. You know what I mean? Like I have like 300 blog posts, 40 videos. I have so many stuff, um, so many videos stacked in Instagram, IGTV. So it's just really funny to me that in this day and age, people would still just read a book and think that's all there is. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you guys being here and how much I really appreciate this format and being able to clarify, add on, hash through things in this long form way. With that being said, I did want to add on to the co-regulation episode because in that episode, we really talked about how, you know, the onus is on us, the parents, and us being regulated and how we can even do harm reduction if we're not regulated. But let's talk about the kid because, of course, we want to have this amazing amount of grace for our children, you know, as they're going through these years. Um, I was just listening to Bruce Lipton. I don't know if you know him. He's a he's all about he's a doctor, but he's all about like consciousness being, you know, how our mind directs everything. Our, our mind really does direct our mitochondria, it directs our cells. And so you can do a lot of healing with just your consciousness. And he was talking about how kids, you know, zero to seven kids don't have consciousness yet. So they're in that theta space, not the alpha space where they're conscious and and thinking, you know, able to really like self-reflect is is sort of the self-observe is I think a, a widely accepted definition of consciousness. And so like literally we're just programming them. They're getting their like program. They're learning the rules of life. And I thought it was a really interesting It was really interesting to hear him talk about that because you do start to realize, oh my goodness, we're just like, we're really, we're inputting the information, you know, if we want to talk like in computer terms, you know, like we're downloading how they're going to be. And basically, you know, what ends up happening to us is we spend the rest of our lives replaying that program unless we can consciously disrupt it. In that sense, we do want to 
We want to teach the child, you know, when we're holding space for them, when they're having these meltdowns, when they're having the tantrums, when they're having huge reactions, we definitely want to allow the emotion to flow, but we also want to, we want to be imbuing emotional wisdom, emotional vocabulary. We want to be teaching them They may not be good at it, but we want to be teaching them these kinds of emotional language, emotional wisdom, so that they have these skills later in life and it becomes their baseline. Like imagine if we, you know, I don't like the word program. I think it sounds weird with kids, but imagine if we programmed our kids to have this emotional intelligence right from the get-go. Wouldn't that be amazing? So when I'm working with clients, especially kids who tend to be difficult or they've reached a level of like the meltdowns are out of control. They're so highly reactive that the parents are dealing with reactions day in, day out. It's exhausting, you know, utilizing both holding space and, you know, go to your room to settle your body using both those things. But let's talk about how we can start to teach the child to not calm down, but to recognize what's happening. So a lot of times in most situations, the kid is going zero to 60 with no time in between. Like, you know, you might be 20 feet from the kid. You can see frustration cross their their face and then it's bam. You don't even have any time to distract them. You have no time to intervene whatsoever. And so that zero to 60 is really important because what we want to do with the child, the very first step we want to take, and this all, you guys, this all takes place in non-hot moments. This is not something that you want to practice. You want to prep the child ahead of time. This isn't something you want to practice like in the moment. You don't want to introduce this, I guess I should say, in the moment. So the very first thing we want to do is we want to try to get the child, we want to start to slow that zero to 60 down. So if we could even start to recognize what it looks like if we break down the zero to 60, and this makes sense in my head because it's like numbers and it just, I don't know, makes sense to me, but it kind of looks like, um, you know, zero to 10. If you could, if you could slow that zero to 60 down and elongate it, if you could, intervene at like zero to 10, zero to 20, zero to 30, you have a chance. You have a chance of slowing that meltdown down. You have a chance of of buffering the reaction. It would be awesome though if the child could recognize that. And so that is our ultimate goal. And remember, my dog trainer tells me all the time with Maverick, Maverick's now like six and a half months. He's like, you're practicing. Like he's not going to be good at some of this stuff. He's a puppy, you know? So remember that. (laughs) So one thing you want to do in a non-hot moment is you want to name these events, especially if they're happening several times a day. And it can just be like, oh, okay, you're having a big Jamie feeling or you're having a big Jamie event or, you know, some kids, the older they are, the more they can articulate this. And some kids actually choose a monster. They, They can feel an angry monster coming on. So you can name it the angry monster. You can name it the rage monster. You can name it after Paw Patrol. It can be any name the child wants. But this is something that you would dissect with the child again in a non-hot moment. So you would say, you know, like, Hey, you know, when you, you know, when you get really frustrated and then you have a big meltdown or you have a big, a hard time, however you guys phrase that. And the child usually will say, you know, yeah. And then you say, you know, let's call that something. So you want to put these events, you want to put them in a container because what happens is it feels like this bleeds into your entire life, but really they tend to be like these events 
It's like, boom, zero to 60. The kid falls out. It may slow you down. It may stop the house for 30 minutes. And then the child's fine for a couple of hours. So you want to put a box around the event. The next thing you want to do is really talk. And again, this might take a little bit of time to eke out this information from your child, especially depending on their age. You want to have them describe the somatic experience. So our kids really feel everything. Somatic means in the body, right? The, if our kids are always in their body, they're really present. And that's why we get such big reactions, the arched back, the hitting, the falling out, the collapse to the floor. Like you and I don't have those meltdowns. We cry, we stuff our feelings. We go eat a pint of ice cream. We might go for a run. We, we tend to hit it in a cerebral mind way. Our kids are all somatic, all body. So you want to start to ask them the where it starts. So I've described on the podcast that I have an inner thermometer. It kind of goes all the way from my pelvic area, all the way to like my thyroid, up into my throat. It doesn't go all the way to my head. And that's how I feel my trauma get activated. That's how I also feel like just, you know, regular people being regular assholes and for me, I know if it's old or new, depending on how fast that thermometer heats up. So like if it's an old wound, it goes right to the top. I start to see red almost immediately. And it's like, oof, you know, I have to like shut my mouth so that I don't become psycho mom or psycho person. If it's regular asshole stuff, it usually is like, I think, it, you know, it almost like the strong man, you know, the strong man at the county fair uh, with the hammer and that thing that goes up and dings the bell. You know, when they do like a really weak one and it goes, it just goes up and down really fast. That's how it is when somebody's just being like a regular jerk. So that's my experience of it. I might feel that my fingers get numb. I definitely feel very hot for me. Like, you know, and I think for most people, shame gets activated in the cheeks. You get red, you blush, you get hot in the head. Um, But ask your child, like, where do you feel it when you start to get angry? And this is an ongoing dialogue. When you start to get super frustrated, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your knees? Do you feel it in your belly? And you want to start to have them figure out where it starts. And that's going to help slow the process down and then come up with a way to describe it. So I like hot and cold because I feel like, I feel like, you, you get angry and then you calm down. I feel like those are too pejorative and they, they don't allow for a whole wide range of feelings. So personally, when I'm working with clients, I use hot and cold. Oh, you get very, very hot and we need you to cool, get yourself cool. And you can do this with colors. You know, you can get red, you can, you know, try to be blue. You can do this any way you want, but you want to definitely have the child start to describe it. A lot of times if you're dealing with a child who's like just having a ridiculous hard time, like it's all morning, noon, night, it's all the time. Definitely number one, if your kid is so, is that reactive, please, please, please really dive into food allergies and sensitivities because so much of this can literally just come to a screeching halt when you find that your kid is sensitive to a certain food. So I would definitely say that's above and beyond the top. But when we have a kid who's highly reactive and it's gotten a little out of control, we also want to start the day with some sort of check-in. I recommend that parents, I have them make a dial. You can get those, oh my God, I don't know the word for them. Those clips that you use in three ring, um, not three ring binders. Uh, You know, they look like a thumbtack, but they separate. They have two legs. It's like a, a way to hold paper together. Anyway, you can use that as a dial and 
create like just a little cardboard color dial and say, you know, like, where are you this morning? Like, good morning. How are you feeling? Let's check in with your, you know, with your Jamie, Jamie anger, your Jamie event. How are you feeling this morning? And so we want to make it part of the family culture. Like, dude, you're struggling. You're struggling with this, with these big feelings. So let's check in and see where you are. And this allows the child, number one, to feel like I'm not bad. I just have these big, big, big feelings and I need to kind of see where I am today. And usually, you know, it can be a verbal check-in. It can be the dial. It can be, um, you know, you can create a thermometer. You can create like a number line. Are you, you know, if, if 10 is the rage monster, where does it look like you are? So we're giving the child skills. And again, depending on their age, The comprehension may be wonky, but it's an ongoing dialogue to make these big feelings okay in the culture of the house. So usually then the child can check in. He can check in and say like, oh, I feel good. I feel good. And then you say, okay, well, maybe after breakfast, we can check in again. And then you know where the child's at. What can happen is the child might wake up and be fucking ready to fight and be like, I'm red. I feel the rage monster ready right behind my eyes. I had a little boy tell me that all the time. He's like, he's right behind my eyes. He's going to come out. And I'm okay, great. How can we get him out? So that's where I've mentioned before in the podcast, a throwing corner in your house is fantastic. So you set up a corner where it's pillows, soft things, beanies, whatever the child needs. She can throw things, vocalize. It's very important to use vocal output to, oh, hi, I'm angry. I hate you. Anything like that, that the child gets it out, completes that circuit of emotion. And then, you know, five minutes of that and you say, let's check in. How do you feel? Some kids, if you suspect a sensory thing, compression works so great for a lot of kids. So That's something you might want to look at. I have always loved roll a child up in a blanket. We call it a burrito, a baby burrito, whatever you want to call it. And the child lays down on a blanket. You roll them up and you give them full body hugs, full body compression, your legs around their legs, your arms around their body, and you are compressing them and giving all the love. I worked with a little boy who loved this strategy. And this kid was going zero to 60 When they came to me, he was having a rough time. The mom was exhausted. It was really, really challenging. We slowed him down so much that he could feel the the feelings coming on, the anger, the frustration, the rage. He could feel it. He'd say, mommy, hurry, I need a burrito. She would run and get a blanket, roll them up, and they would diffuse the event. And it was the coolest thing ever. And I've had this work over and over again with clients. So it's really great. It's It's better. Of course, you guys get a smoother day and that's amazing, right? And you're like, oh my God, I can fucking love my kid again. This is so great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's awesome. There's something else that's happening. You have just taught your kid the most fucking incredible life skill ever. Like, I don't know why we don't teach this in school. Like, fuck math. Why aren't we teaching like emotional wisdom or emotional language, emotional maturity and intelligence? Now that kid, that kid's not going to have road rage. They're going to feel like they're, they're going to be able to calm themselves. They're going to go into, you know, a preteen, teenage adulthood with the ability to slow themselves down and to regulate themselves. So this is just such a gift to give your kid. It does not only helps you, it, it is so helpful for them. So 
That's you can have the throw in corner. You can have um, the burrito. Those are the two main tricks I use. If the child has an idea or you have an idea that, you know, works, it could be like, oh, my goodness. OK, let's go outside and run around the yard and do 10 jumping jacks. Physical, 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 big play, whole body push ups, pull ups, not in like a go workout kind of way, but just get that arm energy out. It's particular to the arms, right? That's why the throwing really works. It's not just running around. It's that big play aspect. So if that works for you guys and you have the availability to just get out of the house, maybe if the child's feeling like they just need to get some energy out, you could do the floor is lava. So you can have these these physical activities. But what I would do if I were you is I would make a list of these at first, go over them with the child and then put them on the fridge, have like a couple of options, you know, when a Jamie event is, is happening and we can control it. What are we going to do? Are we going to go outside? Are we going to compress, you know, baby burrito? Are we going to do the throwing corner? So have like three options. So like right in the moment, you don't freeze because when the kid starts to starts to escalate. A lot of times we're like, fuck, I don't know what to do. I don't remember. So there's that. That's it. That's really how we help the child. And I need you to, I'm going to say this. I've said it probably 30 times already. I'm going to say it one more time because parents have a really hard time with this. This is not one and done. This is not one conversation. This is not one. I, I see this a lot. It's another weird trend that's happening in potty training. Oh, I tried that. It didn't work. No, you can't just try something. I you try to give your kid broccoli. It's not going to work <laughs> in most cases, right? You have to introduce broccoli usually 15 times or any new food, 15 times before a child might even begin to sniff it, right? So don't think any strategy is a one and done. This is ongoing and it's so valuable. I don't care if this takes your kid five years to get this concept. In five years, they might be, you know, eight or nine. And again, what a gift, what a great gift to give your kid. So moving on to the next idea here, and this is so particular to what's happening right now in the world. So we're mid-June and things are going back. I I cannot believe the speed at which we're going back to real life, which is awesome. It's great. You know, life before COVID. I've been talking endlessly about this. We have to talk about transitions again because transitions are once again, super duper hard. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say this, but there was no life before COVID for your three-year-old. They did not know. I think I said this before. There was, uh, I went, I got a potty training client who was 21 months. This kid was an infant, an infant when the pandemic started. Like there's nothing. (laughs) So the pandemic is all they knew. All they know is masks. All they know is being home with you. So these transitions, even if your kid has been in back in preschool or daycare for a a few months, the transitions still are really wonky. So we have to really slow them down. A particular transition is that's very, very hard is picking the child up from preschool or daycare. If you guys are pretty, you know, you're parenting. If your first child is three, you're parenting was largely in the pandemic. So you're kind of like in a new parenting spot. Yeah. So that's really valuable, I think, to remember and keep at the forefront. So you as an adult have this vision of life before COVID. Your kid really kind of doesn't. Yeah. So even if, again, they've been in preschool or daycare for a few months, the transition still can be really wonky. And if you haven't gone away This is why I bring up that like a lot of your parenting happened in the pandemic. So if you haven't gone away or had like a night out 
or your child's been in somebody else's care for, you know, the majority of the pandemic, you may not be aware of this, but kids act out when we leave them. And then when we come back, a lot of times that transition coming back is really hard. The kid's angry at you. I know when I went, um, I went to Utah last, uh, a few weeks ago and Maverick was boarded. I boarded him for four nights and five days. And he was like pissy when he came back, there's an adjustment period. And there's a mini adjustment period on the daily when your kid goes to daycare or preschool and you pick them up. So it's very important during all transitions, but particularly leaving in the morning and coming home in the evening, you want to make sure that there's a high amount of connection. So a lot of clients I've had to walk through this and it's been tremendously successful. You go to pick your kid up at daycare. They may have been in masks all day. I don't, depending on where you are, the mask mandates may have been lifted, may not. So, um, I think it just all depends where you are. I can't even make a claim to that because even in Rhode Island, it's totally different wherever you go. So, you know, they've been in a mask maybe all day and this is hard. Masks are hard. And I don't know if you guys realize it. I realized it about three months ago that we've all become way more expressive in our foreheads. I think we literally activated new muscles in our eyes and our forehead because all of a sudden I was seeing people with masks and I was like, oh, I know what they're, I know what they're like trying to express to me. Remember in the beginning, we were like, what the fuck? Are you smiling? Are you mad at me? Like we didn't really know. So we've all gotten more expressive in our, upper face, but still it's really hard for little kids who get their social cues from our full face. So that in and of itself is a challenge. Then you show up and you're like, okay, let's like you as an adult, usually your goal is like, let's get home. We can have all the fun at home. We can make dinner together. We can connect. And we skip right over this very first re-entry with our child. This very first, we're actually we're um uh I can't even think of the word. We're enacting reacting. Oh my God. I can't even think we're connecting. We're, we're with our child, but we're skipping over the drive home or we're skipping over. We rush over that particular emotional transaction. We're like, okay, get in the car so we can get home and have fun. Does that make sense? And the child is reacting badly and the parents don't know why, or the child like refuses to get in the car, getting in the car seat's dramatic. So when you go and get your child from daycare, or this applies to any transition, be sure that there's connection, take off your masks, look them in the eye, get down and rub their cheeks and say, oh my goodness, I'm so happy to see your mouth. Give them a big kiss on the mouth. Give them a big hug. Don't get in the car right away. If you can, maybe just walk around the parking lot. Say, hey, let's just go for a little walk before we get in the car. I just want to hear about how how lunch went today. So be very specific. Remember, the younger your child is, the more you have to lead the conversation. So ask a very specific question. I just want to ask you, what did you do during recess today? When you went outside, what did you do? Did you go on the slide? So ask these very specific questions, you know, interactions with other kids. How was Miss Susie? Anything like that. Okay. That's a way to connect. If you happen to, um, a lot of my clients just happen to, the school is connected to a playground. If you can spend a few minutes on the playground, fantastic. But you really want to, if you have a younger child in the in the car, get that kid out of the car. If you have a preschool where the child um, is waiting for you at the curb and just has to get in the car, get in the car and maybe just drive three feet. Like, oh, so you're out of the pickup line, you know, so you don't have to deal necessarily with car seats um, in that particular moment. There's always a way to slow down the transition, whatever your particulars might look like. So, 
We want to connect, 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 and use those transition times as the main thing. So as adults, what we tend to do, and we all tend to do this, the transitions are the journey. The transitions are what make your life beautiful. It's not the thing. The thing you get to is icing on the cake. And this is a this is a premise that applies through it really carries through any sort of life situation. So you guys may or may not know I used to be a circus performer and um my last act was uh my last thing that I did in I've fully retired now, but I did aerial silks and we would do routines. Now you have these like stunning death defying jaw dropping tricks that you do, right? These skills that like, you know, wow the audience and make them gasp. That's not what makes a routine beautiful. And when you see dance routines, when you see anything like figure skating, anything like that, it isn't the big thing. It's not the high kick. It's not the fuerte. It's not the, the, that big moment that makes you go, oh my God, it's how they got there. That's what makes something seamless. And you don't notice that, you know, the girl on, in figure skating who the, the guy partner like lifts up on her shoulder, that is a huge transition. If they fuck that up, they wreck the whole routine. It doesn't matter how stunning the next big trick is, the next big spin, it's how they get there. And so like, that was a huge thing in circus is the transitions. Cause if you just, if you clunkily go to the next big thing, you look like shit and it's not going to flow. It's going to be awful. All those words, it's not going to click. It's not going to flow. That's what makes something beautiful. That's the transitions in your toddler's life. So the transitions, you have to pay closer attention to them. And what we tend to do is we tend to have like, you know, we're going to go here and here, and then we're going to cook dinner and read stories. And those are the, you know, quote unquote, big events of the day. And we rush to get them like, hurry up, hurry up. Let's get up to your room. Let's put your PJs on so that we can, you know, read stories. We tend to rush through the transition and that's where your child needs you to slow down. That's where they need the connection. Usually that's where they need help. And 99% of the time, that's where your hot spots are in the day. So Make sure, especially now, especially when you've been out of your child's presence and you come back to their presence, whatever the situation might be, or they're going to leave you, make sure that there's just super high quality connection. And it doesn't have to be more than looking your child in the eye. Take the 10 minutes to fill that emotional bucket. Take that 10 minutes to fill their cup and the rest of your night will go so smoothly. And this applies even if you're not, if your child's not out of the home, you know, the um, one kid I'm working with right now, he's, he's so awesome. Well, actually I'm working with a couple of, of kids right now that the mornings, they're just the mornings, the kid comes out of bed and is ready to fucking fight. And the mom's like, what do I do? Like, it's just right from the get go. And that might look like a fuck you kid, but it's not. It's just that this kid needs more transition. So we're working on like, how can we slow that down? So for one family, I've had the, um, you know, the parent go into the room and, and like we talked about in the co-regulation episode, go just take 10 minutes, read a story, lift the shade slowly, get the connection that way. Another family we're working on, the kid comes into bed. Um, dad happens to be home too working. So dad's bringing them, the kid wakes up what looks like low blood sugar, very hangry. So they're working on, you know, bringing a snack to the, to the bed so that the child has a slower wake up transition. So Again, connect, 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 and it will it will pay you back <laughs> an amazing amount of 
smoothness in your day. So moving on, I had a question about hitting and we need to talk about hitting because it comes up all the time. Hitting is just such, you know, in the two to three-year-olds, and it really is like, it. hitting is really something around 18 to like maybe 26 months. After that, the child really should be getting some more skills where they don't have to hit. There is a period of time where it looks like it's, it's just impulse control. There's no reason why the kid is normally like very empathetic. It's just like something happens and boom, they go to hit. So with hitting, there's sort of these varying degrees and we always want to try, you know, I've said this in the last couple of episodes about like the whole gentle parenting thing. We always want to try that really chill, like, you know, you take their hand. No, no, no. We don't hit hitting hurts. You want to try that a couple of times. If that doesn't resolve, you do have to step in, especially if the hitting gets worse or it's sort of wrecking play. So one of the things you definitely want to do is remove the child almost immediately, especially if it's with other kids. It sucks, but you have to be really firm about it. If you're at the playground and your kid hits, okay, we got to go. Nope, we don't hit. I asked you not to hit. It would probably be really valuable when you guys get to the park to say, I just want to remind you, no hitting your friends. If you hit, we have to leave. If they're hitting their sibling, especially if it's a baby, you have to remove the child from the situation. Nope. You need to just, you need to be in your room to settle your body for a minute because you can't hit the baby, those kinds of things. Now, if it escalates and it does look like trying to hurt, you know, like this particular mom said, you know, they'll be reading, they'll be reading and the child seems calm and all of a sudden they'll hit again. You leave the situation. No, you stay in your room. I'm going to leave. I don't like hitting with hitting after it gets to a certain place. And you can tell, you know, there's definitely places where you want to be super gentle about it. No, no, no. We don't do that. One more chance, that kind of thing. But if it if it starts to get on and this, this is something you have to judge, I can't even give you markers for it. You just it's like, you know, it's escalating. It's really important that you get firmer. If the child is hitting you, the parent in anger, that is the one thing that I am super duper. No questions asked strict about that is a you know, I don't love timeouts, but that is a go sit in the corner, go take some space. I, that is, gets my, um, I don't get angry, but I get as firm as possible. Like, uh, uh, totally unacceptable. You may not hit me. You will sit in the corner. You will sit in your room for a minute. You will sit on the stairs, whatever you do. There has to be a corrective action. I intuitively did this with Pascal because I was a single mom and I just knew he would be bigger than me one day. And you guys, he's bigger than me and he could literally hurt me. We have stopped wrestling because he is way stronger than me. I train hard. I do pull-ups. I do push-ups. I lift heavy weights. He's 15. He does nothing and he's stronger than me. Testosterone makes men strong, (laughs) period. And so the hitting in anger of a parent is disrespect and it needs to be stopped immediately. This is how it's the one thing that if you don't curb and curb hard and strong now, it will escalate into out of control. Once a child knows that they can disrespect you to that level, you will have a nightmare on your hands. I have seen it. I see it in my community. I see it in my work. 
I see it in schools. You get a child who knows that they can do whatever they want to you. And it literally creates a monster. So I feel very strongly about this, that once it escalates to that, like, and you'll feel it, it won't be impulse control is one thing. The child's frustrated and you can see it and they don't know what else to do. And they just react and they, they hit. You want to use all the skills that we used, you know, earlier in this episode, uh, use the hidden corner, you know, you can try those things, but if it continues with disrespect, you must do whatever it is you do for it. There has to be a punishment. It has to be a consequence. And for me, the difference, again, I've talked about this between punishment and consequences. Punishment is punitive and it is a power trip. And it is, um, usually without warning a consequence to me, there's a fine line of difference is like, you've warned the child and this is a consequence for their action because there is no other, there is no natural consequence to the child hitting you. You know, you get hurt, the kid gets to disrespect you and that's So therefore we do an external consequence, whatever that may be. For me personally, I did um, either sit on the stair or sit in a corner. That was just how it was. And it it stopped. It stopped in two times. And I'm glad I did it because I have Pascal's respect. And it's really fucking important when your kid becomes a teenager and they're bigger than you. And all these, there's so many other fish to fry as a teenager. So that respect really needs to be present. This um, same mama asked about, hey, can you kind of talk about the kid who who comes out of the womb with boxing gloves on? Can you talk about the fuck you kid? We know these kids. (laughs) And it's, you know, if you have one, it's been, the child has been somewhat difficult since birth, whether that was colic, whether it was, you know, difficulty sleeping, the kid is just going to challenge you. Sometimes they'll label the kid with oppositional defiance. You know, it's just the kid is, is so difficult. And I've had friends with these kids and these kids are, they're so awesome and they just need like a kind of perfect blend. And it's tricky, especially if you have other kids, but number one, and this mama had said it, she said it, it's just worse when he's tired or hungry. Number one is with the fuck you kid, you have got to stay on top of hunger and sleep, like more than the average person. And you got to roll up your sleeves and you got to be like, you know what? I got this kid. I have this kid and I can be this kid's mom. I believe whatever you believe, you guys, God, spirit, source, the universe, you get the kid that is meant for you. And I don't know why, and it can make you feel like you're going to cry, but it's really, really, really It's really spiritual to me that we get the kid that is meant for us. So just know that. So if you have this kid, you got to roll up your sleeves and be like, I'm the best mama. I'm the best papa for this kid. I can do this. It's a little learning. Um, You know, we're all learning about our kids in the first five years. We're learning how to parent, but it's with this kid, you kind of have to be like a boxer on your toes. You got to be ready. You got to be ready for just about anything. This kid benefits. They need a lot of freedom. But within that freedom, they need a lot of discipline or actually they need a lot of discipline, not discipline, boundaries. They need boundaries. And within that boundaries, they need a lot of freedom. So that's a better way of saying it. I think within the boundaries, they need a lot of freedom. So we had talked about in the last few episodes about tantrums, regulating, co-regulating, that kind of thing, that it's a, it's like a fence. And if you keep moving the fence, the kid goes nuts because then they, they are reactivated to try to get out of the fence. So this, the fuck you kid really needs strict boundaries, very strict bedtime, very strict, 
you know, mealtimes, this is what we do. Within that, there needs to be a lot of freedom, a lot of mess. This kid benefits from a very messy (laughs) playtime. So there should be, you know, if you're going to do art, it should be the messiest art you can think of. If you're going to have a backyard, don't try to have a manicured lawn. Just just like fuck up your grass, you know, (laughs) Um, needs a lot of freedom, a lot of um, discovery tinkering. This kid would benefit from going to like savers or goodwill and buying old um, electronics and letting them take it apart. This kid would benefit from uh, a lot of like building, get them tools, get them stuff to, to build and take apart. That is pretty vital. So, so super boundaries, make sure that they have plenty of sleep. A lot of times the fuck you kid may have um, ADHD and their circadian rhythms are backwards. So if you have a kid who appears to like not be able to sleep, that's, that's kind of a, a key sign. So talk to your pediatrician, maybe some melatonin, get some, um, and I know there's some controversy about using melatonin, but it's really important that this kid sleep. I should say this. I know a couple of families because of homeschooling. I know a couple of families who have this kid and give the kid complete free reign. And it really works. The kids are happy. They're well-adjusted. They, they still have a little fuck you, but they're generally really great kids. However, most families don't have this luxury. I mean, these kids are wild and they have space. They have land. They have, you know, a huge house. They have space to be really wild. So I've seen it work where you release all control. The kids go to bed whenever they want, but they have a lifestyle that they can sleep whenever they want. So it can work in the other direction, you know, like where you just release the reins entirely. But I caution you, I caution you against that only because very few people have that set up. I know two families that have that set up and it really works for them and their wild child, but most, most families just don't have that luxury. And especially if your kid has to go to school or if your kid has to go to preschool or daycare, you really don't have that luxury because they, they can't be the wild child when they have to be under somebody else's rules or somebody else's roof. So bear that in mind. So again, just think, and wild child is probably a better descriptor than the fuck you kid. <laughs> but these kids are just so awesome. They have so many skills. So when you have this kid, try to stay out of, you know, set up your boundaries so you stay out of power struggles, right? That's key. It's like, no, 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 I'm not negotiating bedtime. Bedtime is seven o'clock every single night. There's no way. This kid, you usually can't bend the rules. Once you bend the rules, a lot of kids. Once you bend the rules, the rules are bent. <laughs> like it's it's terrible, especially bedtime. It's so not fair. You can work on bedtime for six months, and then one night the kid comes into your bed, and it's like you wrecked six months of work. It's not fair how how that works, but it's it's especially true with the wild child. No negotiating. You want to stay out of those power struggles, so you have these markers throughout the day. Lunch is always at this time. Bedtime is always at this time. We always read a story at four o'clock, whatever those benchmarks might be. You want to have those. And so then the child can be wild in between. And that way you're not getting into these power struggles. You really want to avoid the power struggles. The wild child, they have impulse control usually impulse control issues. And so you want to know that because like say the hitting thing, they're going to, you're going to have to tell them 8,000 billion times. And they're, they're going to look at you like they don't even know what they did because they're so like primally in their bodies, their skin's more inside out than the average toddler. And so you just want to know that 
You also constantly, like when you wake up in the morning and you have this kid, you want to run through in your head the best things about your kid. Your kid has mad skills and there are, you know, this isn't a bad practice for all kids, but especially the wild child who's working your last nerve. You want to super highlight their good qualities. You want to super highlight what's awesome about them. You want to let them know what you think is awesome about them, but you want to let you know what's awesome about them because sometimes we get bogged down with the negative and we start the day shitty. We start the day with like, fuck, this is going to be so hard. He's going to get out of bed. He's just going to, you know, so let's highlight all the good things. Constantly keep a list again on your fridge so that in harder moments, you can look at it. The child can look at it. And you know that there are some really great qualities about this kid it might take some minute to uncover them. It might take a minute to find them, especially in the heated moments. But the wild child is often my favorite kid because they're pinging, they're throwing themselves at life, <laughs> but it's just really hard in the beginning. So you have to be a little more on your toes. Like I said, like a boxer, you kind of have to think like, what's coming next? What's coming next? And scan the horizon. But as always with all toddlers, sleep, 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 sleep and make sure that they have great nutrition and make sure that they don't go over that, that edge in pehangri. On that note, I'm going to close off. I wanted to let you guys know only because I'm always so vocal about how painfully early I wake up. I'm actually sleeping later talking about sleep. And, um, I had to readjust sort of my life because I don't know if it's the stage of life, I'm menopausal. I don't know what's happening, but I need a little more sleep and it's, I, so I'm sleeping till 5.30, which I know is super early for some people, but it's like, oh, it feels so good. It's so luxurious. And um, I had to get up for a class the other day at four and it it wrecked me. And I was like, okay, well, I'm at a stage of my life where I need to sleep more. And, um, and I'm trying to stay up later because it's summer and, you know, we do things at night now. <laughs> so I have to be a big girl. I can't go to bed at eight. <laughs> But anyway, I thought you guys would like to know that I am sleeping later and taking my own advice of like, I don't know why I need more sleep, but I do. And it just feels so good. So whenever you guys as parents can go to bed a little bit earlier, get up a little bit later, it's just, yeah, grab that sleep when you can. It's a nutrient and we all need more of it. So for the wild child, for the wild child in you, for parents, for toddlers, everybody more sleep. All right, you guys. I'm going to log off on that note, rock on. As always, I appreciate you, your feedback, your questions, your comments, and your patronage. Rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.